the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. It's budget time again and I'm joined by a panel of experts this week to pick through the main elements of what's a huge 14 billion euro budget package. In a few moments, you'll hear from Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, Loretta O'Sullivan, Chief Economist of EY, and Neil MacDonald, the head of ISMI, which represents small and medium-sized enterprises. But first, I'm joined from Leinster House by Jennifer Bray of our political staff. Maybe just to begin with, you could take us through some of the main points from today's budget. As I mentioned earlier, 14 billion euro overall package. It's huge. So maybe just take us through the main elements. Yeah, it is huge. And like you say, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, announced Budget 2024 this afternoon. The aim of the budget appears to be helping people with the cost of living while also preparing for any um, potential future shocks. So I think what they're trying to do, um, Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue, is to find a delicate balance between providing a giveaway budget while also being seen to be, you know, a safe pair of hands um, to be dealing with the shocks that we know are going to come down the road. Um, so it's a 14 billion budget trying, and I say trying, to kind of give both immediate cash injections um, while also hiving off uh, billions and billions for future uh, in future funds, which is a, a tricky balance uh, at the best of times. So in summary, the main, the main aspects of budget 2024, we see increased welfare payments, we see cuts to personal taxation, we see further energy credits, business supports, as well as this multi-billion euro package of one-off supports. Now you can get into a whole argument of, is it a one-off support if it's happening every single year? But for now, they're calling it another package of one-off supports. And I suppose like the, it is important to remember the economic context. You know, inflation is still high. People are, are, are feeling it in their pockets, but the government is estimating that it will it will drop from 5%, which it is in September, uh, was in September, to 2.9% next year. Uh, but like I said, people are still feeling. So we have this massive um, cost of living package, which we see a raft of one-off payments, um, a number of lump sums, for example, people in receipt of the fuel allowance, um, those energy credits that I mentioned, 450 euro, three payments of 150 euro. The first one will come in before Christmas and the next two will come in then early next year. Um, and I can get into a few of the details of the income tax package as well, because this is one of the elements of the, the budget that was kind of kept relatively under close guard until, until, until the last few hours. Yeah, sure. And 14 billion, you know, that should really garner a lot of uh, headlines and a lot of positive uh, publicity for the government. And you might think it'd be hard for the opposition to attack that kind of uh, spending in a given year, but I'm sure they're going to give it a go. So what's the opposition reaction been so far? Yeah, Sinn Féin, uh, no surprise here, Sinn Féin went in on housing, you know, and their argument was that, I think the in Pierce Doherty's words, he said that this was a budget for landlords and, and not for renters. He was accusing the state of taking taxpayers' money and giving it directly to landlords because, as we know, there will be uh, uh, measures in, in place for landlords um, in the next couple of years, which will basically see income disregards, which is basically tax relief of 20% on certain amounts of, of their income, uh, phased upwards over different years. And he was saying that you couldn't make this up, basically. Um, he also kind of attacked the government on the health side. And health is where they're... They're kind of exposed, I think, because, you know, he was saying there's no new funding for additional hospital beds. There's less capital investment than had been previously promised um, and that the budget won't actually manage to keep uh, pace with inflation. 
Um, and we know that the Department of Health uh, have at least a 1.1 billion overrun this year. It had a massive impact on budget talks. I believe that the bilateral meetings were intense and uh, very, very difficult. So that's what Sinn Féin kind of went. They went for housing and they went for health, which in fairness makes sense for them, right? Because housing and health are the two biggest issues for voters. We see that in our Irish Times exit poll data. Yeah, and Jennifer, Sinn Féin have been riding high in the polls consistently now for some time. And Fianna Fáil and, and Fianna Gael really struggling to turn the tide on that. We don't know it yet. I mean, this could be the last budget before the next election or there might be one more. There's one more uh, planned, I guess. But if this does turn out to be the last budget before the next election, is this package of measures going to be enough to turn the tide in favour of uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael with voters, do you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because you would think, wouldn't you, that 14 billion euro budget, um, you know, hugely expansive, like very much not conservative, that it would be enough, like you say, to reach out to, particularly if they're focusing on middle ground voters who maybe might be thinking of giving or borrowing Sinn Féin a vote in the next election, that they would target those kind of floating voters in, in the middle. I think some of the issue that they have is that there's a general weariness with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Fine Gael have been in government for more than a decade. And sometimes I get the impression that it doesn't really matter how much money they throw at the situation when voters don't see tangible progress in the the housing um, issue, housing crisis and the health crisis, that kind of tinkering around the edges or giving you know temporary tax, tax injections won't necessarily work. I don't think it will swing the dial or, or change the dial massively in terms, but I do think that when people feel some of the extra cash filtering to their pockets, it cannot do them any harm, put it that way. So is your expectation, Jennifer, that we will have that additional budget that is penciled in for next year before uh, the next election? Um, I think right now, honestly, I think it's 50-50 because I think that there's a huge push in Fine Gael to have uh, an election after the next budget, immediately after the next budget. Um, the problem is that there are so many uncertainties now globally, you know, the economic context. Um, and we're seeing kind of those issues with co- the corporation tax receipts finally come to fruition. Um, so there's a bit of reticence, but Fine Gael previously have been caught out by not going uh, for an election kind of November-ish. So I do think that we'll see another budget after this, but you could see an election within weeks. Well, okay, we'll uh, we'll watch that space as it were uh, to see how that happens. Jennifer, I know you have a a busy evening ahead, so I really appreciate you joining the podcast and good luck with uh, the rest of your your budget coverage. Thanks, Mel. That was Jennifer Bray there uh, of the Irish Times political staff in Leinster House. Uh, Cliff Taylor, what did you make of this budget? A 14 billion euro package in any other year, that'd be, you know, it'd be massive. Um, And yet... We were having a chat here beforehand and we were saying, you know, was there anything new in it really? Nothing yeah. that we didn't expect, nothing that hadn't been flagged, uh, etc. But I suppose the good news is for the man on the street, the woman on the street, that they're going to have some more money in their pockets as a result of the tax changes and so forth. Yeah, quite a bit more. I suppose budgets have lost their wow factor a bit because in the old days, at least there used to be a few things that were kept under wraps until Budget Day. And now, perhaps the nature of a coalition government, everyone's trying to get credit for their bit of the budget. Uh, We saw pretty much all of it leaked beforehand this year. But you're right, there's there's significant extra cash for households here. Um, You know, a middle earner will get eight or nine hundred from the tax package. What do you mean by a middle earner? What are we talking about? 55, 60, 70,000. For someone with 70,000, it'll be, it'll be a little bit more north of 900. And then when you start adding in the energy credits, um, the mortgage relief, 
Uh, the other element is the once-off package, the double child benefit, uh, double child benefit week, for yeah, example. Yeah, so the energy credit's three by 150, so that's 450. Yeah, 450. The mortgage relief up to 1,250, yeah. so, depending so on... So if, if you ignore the mortgage relief, a lot of households are going to be well over 1,000. A lot of the, the typical mm. ones that have been put put in the Department of Finance. Examples that they push out after the budget are 1,500, €1,600 Euro a year. And, and, and for some, then, the mortgage relief will, will bring that figure up. Will uh, that counter the rate of inflation? Uh, I think the government's calculations are that people's living standards, when you take into account wage increases and what's happened in the budget, are likely to go up next year uh, versus falls oh, uh, this year and last year. Uh, that you know that seems plausible. I think uh, households have been really hard hit over the last few years, um, protected to some extent by budgets, but not entirely because uh, the cost of living crisis has been so intense. But with inflation easing off next year, wage increases remaining reasonable for many, I think living standards will probably go up modestly for for for, for the average household next year. Obviously, there's a big there's a big gap there between you know, around the average, if you like. But uh, mm. I hope, I think, for, for calmer times. And obviously, that's going to be an issue in terms of the timing of the next general election, as uh, as you were talking about with Jennifer there. Yeah, Jennifer mentioned that Sinn Féin has targeted housing. Yeah. Um, and they focus on the fact that landlords, it's a budget for landlords rather than renters, which is a good line, to be fair. Is, yeah. um, is that the case, do you think? And can you also explain to us how the mortgage uh, interest relief is going to work because on the face of it it looks a little bit convoluted. Yeah, sure. I, well, th- there are significant tax breaks there for landlords, all right. Uh, I think economists have questioned how significant this is actually going to be in terms of people's people's decisions to stay or to leave the market because a lot of those decisions seem to be driven by uh, the age group uh, of, of the typical landlord. Many people cut in 15, 20 years ago or heading for retirement now uh, would typically want to get out of the market. So I think, still think there are questions there. Uh, and, and, the, and renters have got an increase, uh, although uh, not as significant. I think one of the things that was interesting in the budget was how the government moved to, I suppose, close off some of the other attack points that um, Sinn Féin might have used, particularly on the mortgage interest relief because Sinn Féin have been calling for mortgage interest relief uh, package for some time now, and the government has gone some of the way to, to deliver that. So what they've said is that uh, if you look at your mor- take your mortgage repayments in 2023 and compare, compare them with your mortgage repayments in 2022, and the difference between the two, they will offer tax relief. The government the revenue will offer you 20% tax relief on that. So it's 20% of the difference between your interest payments in the first year and interest payments in the second year. So that would be significant enough for... That's really for people tracker. on trackers and variables, it is. isn't it? Trackers and variables. Uh, people on fixed rates won't get anything. I think there's going to be, you know, some controversy here. For example, if you have been on a fixed rate and you're coming off the fixed rate in January or February next year and facing a big increase, uh, as I read the rules, you're not going to you're not going to benefit from from anything uh, from this uh, reintroduction of mortgage interest relief. It's it's very much set as a temporary measure. So I think number one, there will be controversy about who's in and who's out, and number two, I think it's going to be very difficult for the government to keep this as a temporary measure. You know, it's promising this is a once-off, one-year thing to help people with a big shock from ECB increases because they have gone up so rapidly. 
Uh, but the reality we've seen with tax reliefs in the past, you know, take the 9% VAT rate, for example, is that once introduced yeah. for the hospitality sector, once introduced, they tend to be very slow the to The uh, thing, Cliff, out. is that people who were on a tracker mortgage were on the peaks back for years. True. They were, you know, when, when rates were practically zero, yeah. They were paying nothing, more or less, uh, in, in interest, in, in mortgage interest. Sure. There's, and that was the case for the best part of 15 years. <laughs> and yeah. now suddenly they're having to pay a few bob. Well, you know, everybody else was being uh, was being done. Anybody got a mortgage post-2008. There were no trackers available then. And now they're getting relief. I'm guessing you don't have a tracker, Kieran. I don't have a tracker, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, and there's interesting research that has been done by the central bank which shows kind of uh, that at a high level, the amount of money paid by people on trackers has now kind of reached a similar level as the amount of money paid by people all along who are other variable rates. I mean, it, it may have gone slightly ahead of that now on the la- after the last increase. But you're right, people on trackers have done very well for many years. And they're generally an older, uh, slightly better off, if you like, cohort with a lot of their mortgage paid off. Um, I mean, there are certainly hard luck cases of people who, who will need some help. For example, the people whose loans were sold to vulture funds, and a small number of which are a number of which are, are now paying rates at a much at a, at a much higher level. Um, but in a general way, I would have questions too about whether the government should have gone there in terms of this measure. Well, exactly. And because I mean, the vulture funds we sold funds that in a lot of cases were owned by the Irish state. Sure. Uh, well, essentially, and I, well, I've sympathy. I've, I have sympathy for those people because I think they were they were given assurances that they wouldn't be treated any worse than anyone else, and they, and they have ended up worse off. But I think for the general body of tracker holders, I think you can question whether uh, whether this is a this is a this is a wise way to spend uh, to spend state money. I mean, it's part of the general discussion at the moment that if people are worse off they need to be compensated by the state yeah uh, but in, in terms kind of, of the funds a lot of those uh, loans not all of them but yeah. a, a good chunk of them uh, were in Irish banks that were bailed out absolutely yeah. uh, they were bought at a fraction of the price we don't know precisely yeah. how much but a fraction of the price by the, the vulture fund yeah. so the vulture fund uh, if the loans are paid up in full they're going to make a huge amount absolutely yeah uh, out of this and now we're talking about subsidising the people who are yeah, well, I suppose paying the, vul- the rates to the vulture funds. Now, sure. I know the, the individuals are different from the vulture funds, Absolutely. but it's, it's, a lot it's of nauseating. Money. Yeah, it's a lot of money, all right, yeah. You know, we could have done this so much differently, but anyway, we can't rewrite uh, history, I guess. Indeed not. We're going to take a short break now. I'll be back in a few moments with more from the panel. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. I'm talking Budget 2024 with a panel comprising Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, Loretta O'Sullivan, Chief Economist of EY, and Neil MacDonald, the head of ISME, which represents small and medium-sized enterprises. Loretta O'Sullivan, uh, what's EY's take on this? 
If we look at it, we would say that the government's approach to this budget is very much one of a Goldilocks one. So as Jennifer said, it is trying to strike a balance. So it's trying to do um, the to get things just right. And in that sense, a balance between giveaway and prudence, between savings and spending, between the short term and the long term. Um, and we see that reflected in the various measures that are put through, um, have been put through. Um Key standouts or things that we would note would be around the new funds. So insofar as they are taking a look at the supply side of the economy and are looking to provide infrastructure and investment there and measures to boost the productive capacity of the economy. So, for example, the, the changes to the R&D tax incentives. And, you know, if they come through and if um, helps address some of those supply bottlenecks, that, that that is important going forward and, you know, helps to offset some of the pressures we'd see on the, de- on the demand side. And the other piece then is looking to those longer term issues, the fact that we know and, and the Minister stressed is that it is known that we have costs of ageing coming and that we have climate change mitigation costs. So uh, putting some money aside in a fund to allow for that and to kind of shore up the sustainability of the public finances, shore up the um, resilience of the economy um, would seem um, a, a sensible thing to do. Mm. What are your, I mean, you have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and so on on your books as clients and businesses. Uh, what are they saying to you um, in relation to the, to today's budget? Is there anything in there for entrepreneurs or small business people? Yeah, I think they would welcome the R&D tax credit adjustments and that's something my colleagues in EY would have argued for. There's also measures in there around supports for businesses. Um, one of the things in the wider economy, obviously, is that there are constraints. We talked there about infrastructure, but obviously in terms of labour as well. So, you know, a little bit in this budget about some measures to s- support education and apprenticeships and um, third level and you know, going forward and maybe what we'd like to see in in future budgets is a bit more focus around that labour supply piece and how to um, ensure that we have the skill set that we're going to need because jobs are going to change, skills are going to change and that we're fit for for the future as well. So some policies around that would be good. Neil McDonald, you're the head of ISME, which represents small and medium-sized enterprises around the country. What's your take on today's budget? Um, well, Kieran, I think in keeping with budgets past, what we see is a big package, but very thinly spread across the whole economy. Um, and, you know, we did have reasonably uh, significant tasks on the entrepreneurial side because we've not had we've we've not had any real substantive movement in tax reform on the entrepreneurial side for a long time. There have been tweaks and adjustments this year um and especially as your previous contributor said some minor stuff on the entrepreneurial side around cgt and around the ewis which is most welcome but i mean we've had persistent complaints around the complexity of the ewis scheme uh it is administratively very difficult the modifications for angel investors are, are very welcome but the biggest single measure in this for small enterprise uh, isn't one that's going to cost the exchequer anything. And of course, that's the adjustment to the national minimum wage. Um, Minister McGrath kicked off uh, by saying uh, inflation for this year will be five and a quarter percent, but the minimum wage is going to go up 12.4 percent on the 1st of January. 
and we're going to have to add to that one and a half percent on auto enrollment. So that's going that's a fourteen percent um, uh, increase in payroll cost, which is going to impact a lot of services very significantly next year. Um, and for those businesses that don't have pricing power and can't pass that on, that's that's potentially true. But Neil, I, th- I think I'm um, sure you'd agree with me. Ireland's a high cost uh, economy, isn't it? And if you're trying to make a living of twelve seventy an, an hour, you know you're not going to have you're, you're not going to have a massive lifestyle, are you? I mean, what, what's that twenty twenty five grand a year? Co- completely agree. Um, I, and in doing so, what we're doing in round numbers uh, for the listeners is taking the minimum wage from around twenty two thousand to twenty five thousand. But even at twenty five thousand, you barely have enough to uh, to in gross terms, you you barely have enough to cover. You know, average rent in Dublin now is two thousand a month. So what we've been consistently saying is we're absolutely not denying the cost of living issue, but what we're saying is the minimum wage is not the way to tackle it. The social wage um, has to rise to meet those costs. Um, the state has to do more, first of all, in terms of uh, having a planning system that's fit for purpose so we can actually build accommodation um, where it's needed. And I see, you know, your own paper rep- reporting today, a big objection to a social and affordable, affordable housing scheme in Kimmage. I mean, this is the magic roundabout of uh, planning nonsense we have in this country. And to expect employers to repair that by increasing the national minimum wage unfortunately is is just fairy tale stuff it's not going to happen we will be back on the 1st of january having the second most uh, second highest um, national minimum wage in europe after luxembourg and this won't matter a hill of beans to a, a low earning uh, worker so what, what's the solution uh, from ismi's point of view if we don't go to 1270 for the um, national the solution minimum wage. is going to have to be the social wage so in other words the, those bits that represent substantive out of pocket income uh, especially for the lower paid specifically child care specifically rent um those uh, those issues the state is going to have to do more heavy lifting on and i i noted um comments there about uh, the you know landlords have substantial write offs the, the, the package announced for landlords this year amounts to um, a net income gain in 2024 of €600, €800 Euro in 2025 and 1000 a year in 26 and 27. I, I, I don't think even Pierce Doherty believes that that's enough to keep uh, them in the market, despite what he said about this being the landlord's budget. And the difficulty with that from our point of view, Kieran, is you will see on social media there are a couple of commentators who you know, commenting on the difference between CSO rental stats and PRTB rental stats. Well, we know where the difference is. It's employers who are now the accidental landlords. There are thousands Neil, of Neil, it must them. be said, it, it, it must be said, you talked about a, a social, uh, social wage and the government providing supports for rents and childcare. I mean, the government's already providing a lot of support, isn't it? Uh, a lot of rental supports um, to various categories of people uh, at the moment. It is. Um, but it, it's, you know, what we're saying is, if you look, for example, uh, and I know 
the figures have been criticised, Kieran, but but they are they do represent a robust data series going back twenty years. But if you look at the daft reports, the daft rental reports prior to the change in the tax rules for private landlords, which of course are wholly different. The the issue here is we have a rental market constructed of um, institutional landlords who have one tax regime and small private landlords who have an entirely different uh, tax regime. Um, And the first one has, this was a policy decision in the the last, uh, following the Great Recession, that we were going to put all our eggs in the institutional basket. The problem is you're not going to get those big, you're not going to get the REITs, you're not going to get the Kennedy Wilsons building blocks of apartments in in Killy and uh, uh, Ballydehob. That's not the way it works. But so the people who are actually filling that uh, role of providing accommodation are employers. And I have to be honest and say, it's not happening in, if I put it politely, it's not happening in a manner that's consistent with the BIK rules. Uh, if I don't go any further than that, Kieran, I think you'll understand what I mean. Cliff, they amended the USE uh, this time around and they're saying it's the most significant change since 2016. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, it is, but... Uh, 4.5% raise come down to 4%. The, the main rate that we pay at is the... Uh, we've all been paying the USE at is 4.5%. So mm. that applies on... The slice of your income from about twenty three grand to about seventy grand, so it's the, you know, mm. the main slice of middle income. So half percent has come off there. So you know, it is it it is a significant move, all right. And they've they've tweaked the entry point as well, <coughs> to to that higher rate. So that is part of the package that you know is delivering money to uh, to middle earners and and, uh, and and lower earners and indeed. Uh, to all earners, I suppose, uh, in the budget. I mean, there's been a bit of mad debate around about the USC over the last few years. You know, should you know should it be abolished in inverted commas, which is kind of ludicrous talk uh, because it's bringing in over five billion to the exchequer. It was supposed to be a temporary measure. Well, I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at the quotes and see who said what at the it time. It was supposed to be a temporary measure. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but if that's what was said at the time, uh, it's not the reality now. Uh, and pretending that we can somehow get rid of the USC. Is uh, is bonkers territory because we're facing higher taxes rather than lower taxes over the next kind of ten years to pay for all the bills coming down the road, and uh, the USC has advantages in a tax as a tax in that it takes in a wider sweep of income than uh, than income tax, uh, and it also takes in some additional income that is missed by income tax, if mm. you like. So uh, uh, it's it's you know it's 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 a more welcome part of our. Uh, of our tax structure from a strategic point of view, if not from the point of view of us all as, as personal taxpayers. Yeah, what about these funds, Cliff? Where do you where do you stand on those? I mean, a lot of people, uh, the money that's been set aside from windfall oh, taxes, yeah. uh, to, you know, to pay for the aging population, climate change, and, and uh, you know, if the economy mm-hmm. goes uh, south at some point in the next uh, number of years. Now, there's a school of thought saying that we should... Mm-hmm. Spend it now, build some houses, um, and and not be hoarding it away for a rainy day. Sure. Uh, and obviously, the other school of thought, which Pascal Donahue and Michael McGrath seem to subscribe to, is that we need to be prudent. Uh, we will have a big pensions bill to pay for down the road, uh, and obviously there are infrastructure measures and climate change costs, and you know there might be another economic downturn that we have sure. to pay for. I think as Loretta said, they're they're broadly sensible things to do. Um, the whole idea of how this was going to be is going to be structured has developed a lot since it was brought up 
whatever it was, six, nine months ago by Michael McGrath. The original idea was a sovereign wealth fund um, into which we would pay money and we would, in time, use the interest to help pay state bills. Now that's kind of part of the solution, but the government has also come up with this idea of a counter-cyclical fund or a fund that is going to support investment if we hit rough times in the years <coughs> ahead. Now, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a push-me-pull-you kind of structure. And you could make arguments that we could have used some of the money to pay off the national debt, etc. Uh, but, you know, this is politics. And if it, it, it is a plausible way to put aside money and a plausible way not to spend all the money now. And the reality is that we're pretty much maxed out in terms of spending. The construction sector is maxed out. Uh, there is a imperative on the state to find new ways to do things and to do things more quickly and efficiently as... Uh, as 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 Neil was saying there, and, and you know, changes in the planning regime, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the moment, if we had more money to spend on housing, what would we do with it? Uh, I think it makes sense to underpin investment and say, look, here's our plan over the next ten years, and, and we now have co- more confidence than we would have that 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 plan can be delivered. Loretta, it is a big pot of money, fourteen billion. Um, any missed opportunities here? And anything they really should have focused on that they haven't? I suppose. I'd like to see maybe a little bit around that point around the labour and policies to um, boost labour supply because that is a, a constraint for business at the moment. Um, and, and doing it in what way? Doing it in various ways. So um, most certainly the enterprise and the education policies being has been supportive and helping people to upskill, to retrain um, the lifelong learning piece, supporting apprenticeships. Um, it also will come to, to wider issues like population growth, migration um, and in, in that context. Lifting infrastructure is going to be important um, in terms of have, having sufficient housing. Um, and the the uh, the point there about uh, that infrastructure and those funds certainly as an economist the counter cyclical piece I think is impo- is important and you know we're we're all of an age where we remember um, sufficient booms and busts in the in the Irish economy so having that piece is 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 good um, key as well will be delivery now we we've 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 put a lot of money in um we need to deliver on it and i suppose again to the piece around spending or saving they've tried to to get the balance right um you know time will tell whether that's the case or not there is a a, a risk in the near term that if you pump too much money in obviously that you to push up inflation at a time when it's coming down so i mean putting some of that money aside and looking to those longer term issues is, is important too. What's your take on the corporation tax? Because we've had two months now where the, the the numbers have been have been down, the numbers have been soft, and you know we're we're sort of getting signals from the government that maybe the tide is turning. We shouldn't rely on this, and there are risks and and so forth. We know that a lot of the corporation tax is concentrated in the hand of a small number of multinationals. What's what's your view on, uh, I mean, taxi drivers are talking about corporation tax now and the way they used to talk about bond yields in 2008 and 2009. Um, should we be worried? Uh, I think, again, we need to put it in context. You have to look at the last couple of years where corporation tax receipts have been really, really strong. So, yes, it has softened a little bit from that. That's not too surprising, given that we're also seeing some adjustment in some of the multinational heavy sectors. So, pharmachemicals or in ICT, there's some global uncertainty there. These were, of course, the the high performers, high achievers during COVID. They are adjusting now to that post-pandemic environment. So, 
there's a little bit of softness, but um, there is certainly underlying strength there when we think about the economy going forward. Infrastructure, digitalization, decarbonization, these are all things that are going to drive the agenda. There's been huge M&E investment in recent years, which is going to come through, provide support in terms of exports and, and so on, and translate into receipts down the line. So I think it's, it's a case of I wouldn't be panicked at this point. Right. Neil, can I just ask you, in terms of your uh, your members, I mean, the Irish economy seems to be flying and we're at full employment, so we're told um, and demand is high. People are still spending a lot of money. So um, are, are your are your members actually seeing that, especially in, in the retail and services sector? Uh, no, it's, it's quite constrained. Um, sentiment is, is very muted at the moment. And I, I think... At a macro scale, one of the things that bothers us and that we were hoping the entrepreneurial side was going to address today is what we call the decoupling of the the GDP economy and the GNI economy. Now, at the moment, that happens to be, you know, working in the country's favor because there's talk that we're in a technical GDP recession, but not in a, in a GNI recession. Um and the domestic economy is powering ahead, but the domestic economy is bounded by local issues such as uh, full employment, such as interest rates, um, su- such as wage cost. Um, and a lot of our sectors, and unfortunately the ones that you tend to hear noise from, like um, uh, childcare, nursing homes and so on, they're in sectors where the state, on the one hand, is is acting as 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 a customer but on the other side they're also acting as a regulator and that puts you in an extremely difficult position and that's why we we end up in in a lot of these you know tricky conversations i i will say just as as you did previously ask there kieran about usc i mean we have never been in the in the band of people calling for the abandonment of usc part of the problem with our long run tax policy is we've effectively taken everyone below 18000 euros out of the tax net a usc is the only tax that dips yeah. down below that and takes a little bit from everyone and there are there aren't any substantial net offs against it we were disappointed to see yet again this year a continuation of the 3% surcharge in against high earning uh, self employed it it even the commission on taxation okay. recommended that that be withdrawn and it hasn't been it hasn't been withdrawn the self-employed are one sector of employment that's falling year on year. People just don't want to be self-employed. Entrepreneurship is not as attractive as a lot of people think it is. And Neil, we were talking, we were talking about uh, corporation tax, and it's not—I mean, it's not highlighted or flagged in this budget. But actually, from the first of January next year, uh, companies with turnover in excess of seven hundred fifty million euro are going to be paying a fifteen rate, uh, a fifteen yeah. percent rate of tax compared to the twelve and a half percent now. Whereas your members, I can't imagine any if uh, or many if any of your members are earning that kind of turnover mm-hmm. your your members are going to uh, continue to pay 12.5% yeah, absolutely um, so that's a break isn't it the 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 750 million is is an interesting an Irish solution to an Irish problem on how to manage the beps problem um it, it is interesting when you look at um the the largest single component in the expansion of our GDP uh, over the last couple of years has been the increase in net exports. 
And some sources in the Department of Finance put the third party or contract manufacturing proportion of that increase in net exports at 25%. To put that in plain English, that means that the profit arising from a phone made in Shenzhen and sold to California lands in the Irish Exchequer. Now, the extent to which that is sustainable in the long run is very, very questionable. Um, But I I would put it this way uh, uh, in relation to the maintenance of the 12.5% rate, Kieran. It has, like low VAT rates did uh, for hospitality, the 12.5% corporation tax rate has delivered in absolute spades for the Irish economy since we, you know, back in the time of Whitaker, and we made the decision to open the economy yeah. to maintain low taxes on exporting businesses. We've never looked back as as a society or an economy, so it's worth it. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, Cliff, final words to you. I asked Jennifer earlier if this budget might be enough to help turn the tide in the polls for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. What's your view? I think they uh, they noticed a bounce out of last year's package. Uh, in the polls, uh, so I I think this will give them this will give them a bit of oxygen, all right. Uh, but whether it's enough uh, to knock back Sinn Fein's preeminent position, I think is is, is is you know it's still got to be questionable. And as Jennifer said, very interesting to see Pierre Starry get up and housing is the first thing first thing he focuses on, and the last thing he focuses on in 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 what I heard anyway from his contribution. So as Loretta said, I think um, that as well as the money, that the big question for the coalition in the remaining term and the months are getting short now is, is going to be delivery. So money in people's pockets is one thing, but um, delivering on real improvements in areas like health and housing is possibly going to be the, the swing factor and um, we've seen how difficult that is. Cliff Taylor, Loretta O'Sullivan and Neil MacDonald, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Jennifer Bray, Cliff Taylor, Loretta O'Sullivan and Neil MacDonald for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world.